today on The Breakdown. It's feud time, baby! That's right. It's a high-stakes grudge match between two people who've been duking it out on Twitter, and they ain't just nobodies. They somebodies! It's Daniel Negreanu and Doug Polk. We've all been waiting for this. Doug's been basically leaving a fire of trolling flame everywhere, taking apart. If you're, if you're anywhere near him, he's going after you. He's gone after Johnny Vibes. He went after Kristen Soto. He certainly went after Matt Berkey. But mostly, he sent bazooka shots, mortar shells at Dana Negreanu, calling him adult many times, saying he had quit poker but was coming back only because adult was going to give him a million dollars. Well, guess what? They finally did start playing last week. Well, they played, they played 200 hands live, so we have some video. We're going to talk about it right now. We're going to talk about one hand in particular where one of them flops well and the other one is just doesn't want to give up this one, really wants to go for this one. We're going to see what happens right now on The Breakdown with Grant Dennison and Jonathan Lefty. <laughs> Yeah, you mentioned all of the trolling that Doug's done online. Oh, yeah. It's been a lot. A lot. Um, one of the most talked about things about this uh, high-stakes match, which we don't really know how it's going at the time of the release of this podcast because it will have been about a week or two, maybe even two and a half weeks mm. between the recording and release of this podcast. All we know is uh, Doug is currently up based on online stuff, but uh, the live stuff went in Granu's way. That's right. Um, and... The live stuff, obviously, only 200 of the... How many hands are they going to play? 25,000? That's 50, correct. 25,000? Yeah. But the thing that's most talked about from the live thing, I think, is is how nice they were to each other and how weird that is after all the Twitter stuff where they truly seem to dislike each other. Like, the stuff they're saying isn't, like, stuff you recover from necessarily, right? It's, like, it's bad. And, like, Doug has spent years trolling Negreanu ever since 2014, I think, was, like, the first time that... Doug trolled Negranu for Negranu saying something like he could study for a week and beat 2550 heads up no limit online or something like that. Uh, and Doug was like, yeah, I don't think right. so. I mean, um, it got way worse once Daniel and then, of said course, more rake is better. Yeah. The more rake is better thing became the most famous of the trolling things, including some t-shirt wearing that Doug did. And he was so, uh, so miraculously sat next to Negranu in multiple live televised events. I don't know if that had anything to do with, you know, the tournament organizer or anything like that. No. I would certainly want that to happen. Uh, but then they they get in this situation where they're playing and they're just best friends. What gives? Tell me what's happening, Jonathan. You show me some insight, you know? What's going on? They're ta- they're calling each other names. They they freaking hate each other. Negranu over the summer was like yelling at anybody who was in his general vicinity. Doug's been trolling like crazy. Anybody who's in his general vicinity, how are they so nice now? What's going on? Well, Daniel does say, uh, before everything starts, like they made a, a hype video. And one of the things he said was that online trolls, when they're at, when you actually see them in person, they really soften up. And I think that's mostly what it is. Because while Daniel certainly pushed back, Doug has always been the the prime mover in this uh, in this feud, right? He's always the one who's calling... Daniel names. Daniel rarely really responds to that level back, I would say. And Doug, Doug's like the bully if there's a bully of the two of them, right? And then Doug was in no way bullying at all. And uh, I think it's really different when you're, when you're actually in a room with someone for a long time and there's no getting away, you know? 
and sure, you can decide to go at each other anyway, but most people don't. Most people aren't Tony G, right? And so right. it's so much easier socially just not to do that. And in fact, they look like they had a really good time. They seem to have like a very frank conversation, not about the trolling stuff, but they were talking, they both sort of acknowledged that Doug is the favorite. Doug was talking about how he's not really going to change his strategy against Ngrano. He's just going to try and play GTO and hope it works, basically. He said a lot of it depends on how good Daniel is, and he can't really control that. He said this to Daniel, you know, as they're going. I mean, at one point he said, I'm really interested just to see how you adjust as, as this thing goes. I'm really, I'm really looking forward to see that. You know, and Daniel's like, yeah, me too. You know, I mean, it's just like really strange, and they almost seemed like they were on the same side as they were trying to take each other's money. I wonder if it's going to... I know it's been a little bit since they played, and now that we're... By the time people hear this, it'll be a bit longer. If it's going to go back to Doug, you know, talking shit again. Here's the thing I've always been wondering, though. Doug went from, like, going, like, 20 miles per hour in terms of trolling to, like, 150 really quickly. And I wonder if a lot of it was to, like, hype up the match. Because he wasn't trolling other people and wasn't calling Negreanu adult until they sort of agreed to this. And then he really let it go. And so I wonder if that's just, like... It's theater, much in the way we'll see, like, boxers do that with each other, where they talk all this shit, but, like, there's very little of it is real, you know? Um, almost like professional wrestlers, even. Yeah, but it's not like Lennox Lewis was, like, talking shit about Michael Jordan and stuff. Like, like Doug is talking shit about people who aren't involved in this match at all. It's no, weird. No, it's true, but it's a way to, like, build up a whole, a whole um, brand for the match and stuff, too, to keep people interested. I'm wondering, it feels like, honestly, Doug has always been pretty good at marketing. You know, he's like, he yeah. was ahead of the curve as, you know, we're YouTubers, right? And like, we were ahead of Doug in terms of getting there first. And we had a, you know, a reasonable following and all that. But like, one, he obviously already had a big name and like, a very successful guy, but also like, figured out, and I'm not saying he did this, but he hired people, whatever. He knows how to like do YouTube marketing really well and stuff, right? Like, like he knew how to do, like he, he made a video about how to make, how to be a successful YouTuber and actually gave us on that video, talked about our um, thumbnails on YouTube and why they were bad and how to make them better, which we have ever since used that advice, quite frankly. Um, so I kind of think a lot of this is bullshit marketing stuff anyway, like just cause he went so intense out of nowhere and he's never been like that as far as, and I, I've never seen him do anything like this except in the last few months. So I don't really ever buy it anyway. I think it's like a lot of it's kind of fake. Like him just deciding to attack Christian Soto for no reason is super weird and makes no sense. They're both GTO guys. Like there's no reason at all for Doug to attack Christian Soto, but he did just stuff like that. Yeah. It's very strange. I mean, I, Maybe I just can't see the end game, but like if you're talking about hyping it and everything, Doug doesn't get any extra money out of this if it's overhyped. I mean, maybe it builds his personal brand a little bit, but to what extent? Yeah, really, it's like not. It's fair. What's the end game there? I you know, that is that is a really good rebuttal. Um, not that you were saying it as a rebuttal, but like there is no obvious incentive for that. Like Doug's trying to win a million dollars off Daniel anyway. Like he doesn't. Does he really care if other people are watching? If he's going to stay retired from poker? I don't know. Um, what does he have other big plans to do stuff? I mean, he tried to do like a Doug Polk, like sort of crypto channel, which I guess sort of failed, at least for his standards failed. You know, I, I imagine when a lot I, of other I, people when crypto was going, I, th- I think when crypto was going crazy, it, it actually surpassed his poker channel. But then I guess it just died out because yeah. people didn't really care about crypto anymore. Yes, that's right. And now like it's back as crypto is like picking up again, but he's not doing that. And I don't know if he wants to like have to, 
you know, claw his way, try and claw his way to the top of the crypto YouTube stuff too. Um, maybe he's got other plans in terms of YouTube or media in general, and this is a way to try and build it. Although being a dick isn't like the greatest way to build it up. Being a villain, I guess it's possible, but it's but then doing like showing up and being super nice in the ground while you're being a villain is such a cognitive dissonance thing that it doesn't really none of it makes any sense. You know, like I don't really believe either either version of Doug that we've seen the Twitter right, version or the Negrano version. If you're trying to brand yourself as a villain, the best opportunity to follow through on that is the live match against Negrano. You have to be a complete villain during you're that. Right. You're right. So, so like, it feels like he was doing it just to get people to care about this match, but why does he care if people cares about this match? Yeah. I, got I have nothing. an alternate, I have an alternate theory. Good. Doug Polk was bored and he was like, what's it going to be like if I just like troll everybody for a little while, mm. let's have a little fun. I don't, I don't mind being that guy. It doesn't bother me to be disliked by a lot of people for this. I'm just going to do it and see how it feels and if it's fun. Yeah. And then like by the time by the time they both play this live match, it's been so hyped and the trolling has been so extreme and almost over the top that they may have felt like they were both almost observers of the match themselves of this sensation that's been created through their escalating Twitter feud and it's as if they're like seeing it through everybody else's eyes or something now. And they get to just play poker. Hey, can, can we talk about one more thing before we get into the hand? Um, along these lines. Yeah. Why in the world is Daniel Negreanu playing Doug Polk in this way? Why is he playing heads up online against Doug? That's Doug's best thing. That's what Doug, Doug's been doing for a long time. Everyone acknowledges Doug is a big favorite. I think Doug said he thinks he's somewhere between. He said to Daniel in this match, even during when, you know, when they were playing heads up live. He said he thinks he's somewhere between like a two to one and five to one favorite, I think is what he said. Um, it was just trying to be, it was just being honest about it. He wasn't like being a dick as he said it. Um, he said it to Daniel's face, you know, um, like why Daniel acknowledges that Doug is better and is a favorite. Daniel could have gotten Doug to play half and half. Doug at one point even offers to play half, no limit, hold them heads up and, and half of whatever game Daniel wants to play. Daniel just says, no, no, let's just play heads up. Why would Daniel do that for a million dollars? I don't understand that piece of it. Well, I think I can try to wrap my head around it. Um, it's two parts. One is he's covering his ass in case he loses by acknowledging that he, in this particular format, he's not acknowledging that he's overall right. worse than Doug. He's just acknowledging that Doug is better in this particular format, and he's willing to play Doug in that format. So... That piece of it covers him in case of loss from a reputational standpoint, at least from his view. Yeah. Beyond that, he's saying that to cover himself, but based on his 20 years now of success and basically hero worship from the poker community, he believes the myth of Daniel Negreanu and truly believes he can overcome any of these odds anyway because he's truly special. He is the one, the best poker player of all time. I think in his heart of hearts, that's what Negreanu thinks. Mm. And... You can't entirely blame him. It's kind of like, uh, not to the same extent, but my example of, of like a person who's like LeBron James has been being told since he was in eighth grade that he's like the, the son of God. He's like insanely impressive in all of these ways, which is true. He is insanely impressive in, in all of these basketball ways and even off the court ways as well. And I think it's actually impressive how humble LeBron James is in relation to that praise. Um, like that pretty should mess anybody up. And I know he's not entirely humble, but compared to the amount of crazy praise that LeBron James has received for his entire life, 
He's quite humble. Negreanu is poker's version of that. It's not to the same extent, but he's been receiving this praise for 20 years, being told he's special, being told he's great. And I think he believes the myth. I think he truly believes he can overcome it. There's something beyond math. It's preternatural. He has these skills that nobody else does. And even though Doug's a favorite, sure, Negreanu's going to lose sometimes, and he has to acknowledge that Doug's a favorite to cover his ass. But he believes he actually can win. I think that's what it is. It's just weird. Like, Daniel's a professional gambler. He shouldn't ever be putting his money in unless he thinks he's a favorite, right? So either he thinks he's a favorite. He must think he's a favorite, I guess, is what, we get, is what it has to come down to, right? Why would he, why would he basically give Doug a million dollars? Or maybe it's $100,000 worth of equity. Maybe that's what it fairly is. Or you are conflating, You're conflating things here. Okay. You're conflating a professional gambler with a professional poker player. Those are very different fucking things. I know that poker is gambling, but... When you say professional gambler, you defined it right after you said it, right? Somebody who is not going to give up an edge on purpose, basically. Mm -hmm. That's not what Daniel Negreanu is. He is a professional poker player. He is good at this one form of gambling, poker. He's not edge-seeking. He just wants to sit at a poker player and play poker, which is a form of gambling. But the, the things surrounding that are not what he's making his decisions with or else he wouldn't be playing all of the hundred K's where all of the GTO wizards are like clearly have a slight edge on him and he, his EV goes down. Well, he does, like, I don't know he, that he believes though, that they clearly have a slight edge on him. I think he thinks they technically do have an edge, but he's got a live edge on them back and a read on them that they're not going to have, you know what I mean? And that, and that, like, if they're playing online, I would guess that he would acknowledge that they clearly have an edge, but like when they play live that he can, that he has an edge back, and maybe, and he probably thinks that pushes him to be that he's making money in these spots. I don't think of Negreanu. Maybe I'm just wrong, but I'd be really surprised if Negreanu is buying in tournaments where he thinks he is um, losing money by buying in. I'd be really surprised if that was the case. Maybe I'm wrong. No, I do. I mean, I think he probably does not think he's losing money, but I think any objective observer would think that he was. And I think when you refer to a professional gambler, what that evokes in me is somebody who is able to look in the cold light of day at their spot and mm-hmm. analyze the expected value in a proper way. I don't think that's Daniel Negreanu. I think he's a professional poker player, not a professional gambler. I think those are different things. I mean, to some degree, it seems like you're right, because the fact that Doug says Doug is somewhere between like a, you know, maybe a five to one favorite as much as like Doug would have clearly given Daniel a price, right? Like maybe Daniel could have gotten two to one. Now, by the way, Bill Perkins gave Daniel 10 to 1 somehow. I don't understand what that's about. That's yeah. a super weird thing. But um, so Daniel's going to end up getting a great price on all this anyway. But like Doug, he should have gotten a price from Doug too, or just play a game that's a little bit more. Like, even if you think I'm probably a slight favorite in this, how about we also play half the game, you know, half of it in a game that Daniel's really good at? Because Doug's willing to do that. Then, Doug, then Daniel's more of a favorite. Like, why wouldn't he? I just don't understand. It really doesn't make sense to me. I'm maybe, maybe we're built differently, though, me and him, too. Maybe you're right. And, like, I just can't imagine ever trying to put real money into a spot where I didn't think I was a clear favorite, and I guess that's not the case with him. I think I, think I know the reason you're conflating this, and it's because yeah. of your life experience as Jonathan Levy, because you call yourself a professional poker player, or at least semi-pro now with poker guys stuff, but, mm. you know, longtime professional poker player. But in reality, you are that, but you are also a professional gambler. You are yeah. an edge seeker. You do find edges. You are good at it. Like, I've, I'm around it. I've learned a lot from you about gambling outside of poker. I think because of my relationship with you, I have become more capable of gambling, but I was never a professional gambler. I never have been. I'm, 
I understand EV and spots better than I used to because we talk about it. But I was a professional poker player, not a professional gambler, yeah. for sure, in like 2015. I was not going to be like finding edges and making good bets. That's fair. I was an excellent poker player, and I made my money doing that. I was not like a good sports better. I'm, I wasn't like a good election better, etc. I don't know these things. You look for these edges. Mm-hmm. Everybody does. You right. are, you're a guy who is both things. Not everybody is. You're right. I am very clear that Negreanu is not that guy. <laughs> That's fair. You know, I, I will say I am constantly surprised, and maybe this is just, it's not fair, it's not fair to, to think this way, but I'm, I'm often surprised that some of my very smart friends don't think in terms of expected value when trying to, like, assess particular spots, you know? And it doesn't always have to be money spots, but just in general, like, expected value is often the way to do it, or sample size. You know, using basic mathematical tools, they're very, very smart, and smarter than me in lots of ways, but don't use those, doesn't use, don't use that tool sets, and often clearly leads them to incorrect conclusions as a result, you know? And I see that a lot, and I will speak up, you know, when I see that, but it, it really stands out to me. So maybe you're right. Maybe I'm just I just I'm assuming because Negreanu is like in the in the poker world and quote in the gambling world that he has this mindset, which I guess you're, it's fair to say he doesn't. No, he doesn't because you through this gambling instinct that you have, you do see things in the numerical cold light of day, and that is how you assess things. And all of your friends who are as smart or smarter than you, who you think are are doing this wrong. They aren't seeing it in the numerical cold light of day because they're not taking it as a professional action. They're, they're, a lot of the times they're right. doing it for fun. Like Wonka will make so many bad bets on the Portland Trailblazers because he just wants to or on the Carolina Panthers, which is his NFL team, you know, because he wants to. The equity there is not pure numerical. It's fun. That's what that's what they're doing. Yeah. Just just and, to put a button on and that's that. one reason. Sorry. That's one reason. But another reason is pride. And that yeah. is what's going on with Daniel Negreanu. It's pride right. and ego. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, just, just one last thing on this, then we should really get to the hand. But so, and I'm not going to get into any politics piece of this to be clear, but so like, but like I bet on the election this time, right in 2020. And I certainly had a rooting interest. Like I know who I voted for one of the people and I know who I voted for and I felt strongly about it, but I'm not going to get into who doesn't matter. You might be able to figure it out if you listen to the show enough, whatever. The point is this, I made a bunch of different bets on a bunch of different things. Um, and I, there were people who accused me of betting uh, just because I wanted a particular outcome. And I said, are you kidding? Like, I would never bet. It wouldn't occur to me to bet on something I wanted. I would only ever bet on something that's clearly positive, plus EV base, as well as I can determine it. And so, like, I make some bets. Like, I bet on a bunch of states to go particular ways electorally. And, like, I was right on some, I was wrong on some. But, like... I didn't bet on all the states. I didn't bet on lots of things. I only picked the bets that I thought were really, really good, and I had a whole spreadsheet to try and help me do that. And now, I also only bet on ways I wanted the outcome to come out because it's such an emotional thing. <laughs> but, but that's okay. I don't think I could have found good bets on the other side anyway, quite frankly, although I did not look very hard because I don't really want to be rooting emotionally. You know, like I, I generally root for my money, so like it's hard for me to bet on something and bet against it or want something and bet against it. Like some people do that as an emotional hedge. I'm not built that way, but like, but to your point, like, yeah, I pick really, I really carefully, really good bets as best as I can and bet on those things. And that's it. And it feels good. It feels good to do that. Even when I lose, it feels kind of good to do that. Yeah. Anyway. So that's, that's not how, like, I really love that way of thinking and I enjoy engaging in it. And I, absolutely understand it from every numerical standpoint, but I'm not willing to put the work in that you are. Um, and I don't it just to, yeah, to put a button on it, I think 
for Negreanu, it's something different than it is for yeah. for people like you. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, like I enjoy making and a I think spreadsheet there is a, about stuff like that. Like it's yeah. fun to me. And I think there's a clear distinction between professional poker player and professional gambler. Yeah. You can be both, but one does not make you the other. Yeah, one does not simply walk into Mordor. Right. Like Haraldus Vulgaris is certainly a professional gambler. It goes the other way too, but he would not call himself a professional poker player even though he plays poker. Of right? course, of course, yeah. No doubt. Yeah. I guess, I guess you're right though. There's like the professional gambler mindset which is really what we're talking about, right? And like, yeah. not that many people have it. Even guys who call themselves professional gamblers, a lot of them don't even necessarily have it, really, right? Right. Um, so, fair enough. Anyway. Look, that was, that was a whole bunch of time. <laughs> fun. It was fun. It was I know, a fun I, chat. I liked it. I like, I like trying to under, uh, distinguishing what's going on there for Negrano is kind of cool. I mean, that's just a guess, obviously, but that's my best guess. It's the correct um, guess. I okay. certify it. Thank you. You're welcome. So I, I guess I'm a professional point maker because I can always get my point across and make Levy agree with me. So yeah. that's, that's me. Um, this hand was suggested, by the way, by Ani Hootenen. Hope I'm saying that right. Ani has suggested on Twitter before. We appreciate the suggestion. If you want to suggest a hand for the breakdown, Twitter is where you should do it. We are the poker guys at two poker guys, the number two poker guys. Please include a YouTube link or a poker go link or whatever in a timestamp. Recently, we've asked for some particular mediums of suggestion. We would love it if you would suggest WPT hands, EPT, anything that PokerStars owns, um, Aussie Millions, old Full Tilt Million Dollar Cash Game. All of those things are easy for us to make into videos, which is a bit more scarce than the hands that we can make into podcasts because a lot of the other entities are a little bit more buttoned down with their, uh, their desire to keep their video content all to themselves no matter what, and they will fight us on it, even though we might eventually win. So we prefer some suggestions f- from those places. If you could find some, that'd be cool. And you might as well take this opportunity to take a trip down memory lane, watch some old WPTs, old EPTs, whatever, find some hands. Yeah. Suggest them. It'll be yeah. fun. All right. Let's get to the hand. So we're at, uh, we're pretty far through the live match. I think this is actually hand like 197 of 200 live. Is it and that late? Negranu is... Yeah, I believe it is. Wow. I believe it is. Uh, and they're playing 200, 400. No, 193 of 200. Still so pretty still late. Similar. Negranu is up 43,000 so far in the match. Uh, Doug is the effective stack with 56,000 in front of him. Again, we're playing 200, 400. And he is in the small blind slash button. He's got queen jack of diamonds. He opens to 900. Not much to say here, right? Nope. Here's something weird. Negranu three bets to 4K, which I like the sizing. That's real big sizing. Heads up against Doug, who also is going to have the button. Seems like a good idea. Yep. Negranu has 102K in front of him. Three bets to 4K with 10-6 of clubs. So he may, maybe he came in with a balanced strategy where this is one of the combos he's going to be three betting. Feels like a really easy hand to just call and see a flop with. Is he trying to? Does he have a perceived live edge in his own mind that he's trying to push because there's only a few live hands left before they move to online? Where they're like, <laughs> let's make the pot bigger when it's live, type of thing. Like, what's going on? I mean, if this is not the time to make the pot bigger normally, right? You're out of position with a bad hand. I mean, there's we could yeah. be in position with a good hand, um, or even just be in position or have a good hand. There's like, uh, I will say this: like, I watched the entire 200 hands. They're on YouTube, by the way, and fun to, a fun watch for sure. Uh, Negrano doesn't three bet very much. So he usually has a really good hand. So this is like 
pretty out of nowhere for him. Once in a while, he would do like a suited king or something too, or like a king, a bad king. But mostly it was just really, really good hands. He would three bet. So it's, it's very odd that out of nowhere he decides to do 10-6 suited. Um, I don't have any, there's no really obvious reason for this as far as I'm concerned. I don't really know what's up or why this is happening. Like, it's really strange. I well, agree with you. This is such a natural, easy call. You don't have a blocker. Why, why not just call? Well, I think it, it must then be one of the two things I said. The second one being less likely that Negreanu is trying to push his live edge by yeah. inflating the pot when there's not that many live hands to go. I don't think that's it, as likely as Negreanu does have a balanced strategy that he decided to come in with from a preflop perspective. And 200 is not a big enough sample size for those hands to crop up that often. You and I know that when we create yeah. our limping strategy where we get to like limp raise like 4% of hands, we played it for months and months, at least I did, and I, I didn't find that many opportunities for it to come up because the sample size just wasn't big enough. For sure. It could be that 10-6 of clubs is within Daniel's balanced strategy that he came in with, and those hands just haven't come up yet. That could be part of what's going on. Mm. Yeah, that's fair. Other than that, I don't have a good explanation for why you would do this out of position against yeah. a player who is very likely to call with a lot of hands. It's just such a, it's such a weird hand to decide to do it with. That's That's... Really, odd. I wonder if it's. I wonder if actually the second thing is is really in play of just like we're running out of live hands, so I want to like do some fun stuff. You know, I want to try and take advantage of the fact yeah. that I can maybe maybe get a read on this guy a little bit. I don't know. Yeah, that's it. Could be that. Hard to know. Anyway, Doug with uh, Queen Jack of Diamonds. So big three bet, but he's got a call right. Like four betting against. I guess Negrano hasn't been three betting much, so four betting seems like a really bad idea as a bluff. Why would you want to turn this hand into a bluff anyway? This is not the hand to turn into a bluff. You're in position. It's beautiful. Like, let's see a flop. Yep. So Doug does call. Stack the pot is not ideal with 8K in the pot, and Doug's stack is going to be like 52. It's definitely not ideal with a hand like this. It's speculative. But it's just too good of a hand to fold in a heads-up match when you get position for the whole hand, even though it's a big three bet, right? I mean, if we're Doug and we flop a hand as good as top pair... It's going to be hard not to hold on all the way, you know. Maybe we could decide to fold right. on the river sometimes because Dnegs is relatively tight and doesn't triple barrel much or anything. But like, there's not too much. Like, you're just going to have to hold on because the stack to, the stack to pot is what it is. Like, we really should not be folding top pair almost ever. Yep, and Doug's probably okay with that. You know, he's yeah. going to go by the numbers. He's going to go by the GTO. He's going to be fine with that. Mm-hmm. Um. So the, the pot is 8,000, and the flop is a miracle from heaven for one Canadian named Daniel Negreanu. It is the king of clubs, six of spades, six of hearts. Not even a flush draw to worry about out there. Flop and trip sixes with this complete trash, especially miraculous considering, as you said, that Negreanu hasn't been three-betting a ton. So, like, the first time he gets really out of line in three-bets, he flops incredibly well. That's pretty sweet. That's a pretty sweet flop. It's a ridiculous now, it flop. Should, it shouldn't get him paid because, you no. know, Doug has queen jack of diamonds on a king six six zero diamond board. Yeah. But what's the best way to try to get paid if you're Negrano and you flop this well with the lead in the hand? I mean, here's the thing. We're always betting this flop. Or not always. We're almost always betting this flop for Negrano when we three bet, right? King six six rainbow. This is just our board. We're always betting. We're always betting it small. That's just like... It's, if we check, we're basically screaming that we have queens or jacks, but we might even bet that small, quite frankly. Um, this is just a board where we're kind of, how are we not betting this board if we're Negranu? So 
it's it's a little weird. We hope Doug has a king, but a lot of time we're just going to get folds, I guess. But we're going to miss like we usually miss when we have ten six suited and we three bet and we have a board. You know, if it was king five five, we would we'd bet it also. Like so, we just this is just we have to bet our strong hand here. We just have to because we're always betting this board, and it would be weird if we didn't. And I say always, I mean like ninety percent of the time or something. Do you agree? Yeah, I think I do. Um, especially considering that the current thought that's going through my head, which I'm going to phrase as a question. Which player do you think has more sixes in their range? I think Negranu has more sixes because um, Doug has to flat that 4X. And to be clear, like, again, yeah. having watched the whole thing, like these guys were folding to three bets with their trash hands. They were not, they weren't like, so I guess there was a little bit of four betting once in a while, but mostly they were just folding. They weren't flatting with like crappy hands. So it's like possible to have a six, but like not that many. Negrano knows he's got more sixes because Negrano can have 10 six suited and Doug absolutely cannot, right? Um, right. So D Negs knows that. Doug can have like, you know, six seven suited, uh, five six suited. I'm going to guess a six suited. That may be it. Maybe you can have eight six suited. Maybe. I'm not sure. I think those are his only sixes. So up, so up to eight combos. That's the, the max then. That's not a lot. Well, yeah, Daniel's sitting here thinking like, well, I got really lucky, but maybe he's got a lot of other suited sixes he's raising too. I, I, don't, see, I don't see how he has less sixes than Doug anyway. Right. It seems like Negreanu... We know he has more because he has 10-6 yes. suited. We know Doug's not going to flat with a hand like 10-6 suited. He's either four-betting or folding, mostly folding. Negreanu, um, who knows? He might have hands like queen-six off sometimes like yeah. because he's the three-better. So, yeah, all of this leads me to say, like, typically you you look at the non-aggressor as the person who's more likely to have, like, the trips in the small card, but that's not the case here. Negreanu's probably more likely to have a six and more likely to have a king than Doug, I would guess. It's such a massive range advantage for Dean eggs. He's got king, king. He's got ace, king. He's got ace, ace. He's got at least the same amount, if not more sixes. He's got all the monsters and Doug has almost none of them. Right. So of course he's, he would just, with this massive range advantage, he would always bet. He doesn't have to bet big, but he would always bet because of that. Right. Unless maybe he has queens or jacks and decides to check because queens is basically afraid of almost nothing, but could put itself in a weird spot and would maybe give Doug a chance right. to bluff. Like he's just betting so much of the time here. Yeah, I think he has to bet. So he does. He bets 1600, just praying that Doug has a king mostly. Um, I like the sizing, by the way, so less than a quarter of the pot. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a board that's so polarizing, obviously. Like you don't have to bet more than this on this board, even if you want to because you have a big hand and you're hoping for more money. I think you probably should be betting about this size. Um, yeah, you probably should. Now, an interesting thing happens, though. I know you usually call the action here, but Doug doesn't fold. Doug calls because it's only 1600 yeah. I think, and because it's so cheap to float. He does have a back, one back door. He doesn't even have a diamond on the board. Um, so we're saying you don't have to bet anymore, but when Queen Jack calls you, I'm not sure. Like, in some ways, we're happy to have Queen Jack call us in this situation, but all the times we're bluffing, it's like, we're going to lose this pot a lot if Doug's calling with Queen Jack, you know? That's fair. That is fair. Um, so maybe the sizing is a bit too small. Maybe. This could just be exploitative, yeah, though, because by Daniel. He's like, now that I have it, I I'm imagine Doug because I'm sure Doug recognizes Daniel's range advantage. and But you can level yourself and be like, well, 
Daniel also recognizes his rage advantage, so he has to bet this board. Yeah. So I can float and like take it away later a lot of the time. And maybe if Negrano made it twenty five hundred, he'd get more of his bluffs through. I, I I would guess so. I mean, from Doug's point of view, it's sixteen hundred to win ninety six in position, and basically we're hoping to hit a ten queen jack or Daniel check. Right, that's what we're hoping for. Yeah, that's a lot of things for sixteen hundred to win ninety six. It's like a lot of good things that can happen. So. I, I really think Doug has to call for 1600 Maybe 2500 he's going to call, too. He probably is, honestly. But a lot of people would fall for 2500 Maybe a lot of people would fall for sixteen too. Maybe I'm just wrong. I also wonder if Daniel was bluffing if he would actually go this small. Like, he is, he is, like this is the only time in these 200 hands he's actually been in this position where he's, like, three-bet with a really junky hand. And that's the small. I wonder if he had, you know, I'm just going to make something up here. If he had queen-10 of of diamonds. He can't because Doug has a queen of diamonds, but if he had queen 10 of diamonds, so just an absolute miss. If he's also going to bet 1600, if he's going to make it more like 2,500, 3000 or something like that, I just wonder. It would be good to know. Yeah. I mean, the sizing feels like the only reason that Doug does call because like you said, he has one back door. The board is paired. I, it would make so much more sense if there was a diamond on the board. Oh for yeah. Doug to call but so much without fun. a diamond on the board. If it feels like the sizing has to have played a part. Yeah, I agree. Doug also just has better hands than this when his flatting range on the flop or pre-flop. And then now, like he's got ace highs for sure. He's got pocket pairs for sure. He has backdoor flushes along with straight draws. I mean, this has got to be not the worst hand he can have, but it's got to be fairly far down on the list. I mean, he can have like, of course, you know, seven, eight suited and stuff like that, too, and diamonds. But almost everything he has is going to, you know, be ace high or have a backdoor flush. Almost everything except diamonds, right? Or he has kings. He could also have kings. Yes, of course he can have kings. You're right. But then that's easy if like, he has kings, I guess. Like he's never falling yeah. if he has a king. Right. So anyway, here we are. Doug is calling the 1600. Okay. And uh, that's, that's, that's a choice he gets to make because he's playing poker, which you can do on nitrogen sports. Am I right, Jonathan Levy? You are so right you've gone around the turn you've done like a full 360 back to wrong which is weird because a full 360 would think you'd take you back to right yeah but not this time it's no, like no. it's like no, a mobius strip i thought what'd you say no 180 to wrong i think i no. think i was so right that i 180 to wrong but then my, my momentum kept me going and i ended up back where i no. started and i'm right again that's not it no no it's a mobius strip it's actually just it's one it's one edge and you just keep going around that thing and uh so it's 360 but it's also 180 because it's a mobius strip you see you're a mobius strip you're Thank a jacob's you. ladder wow that's what you are i'm taking that as a compliment because the only other choice right. is to be deeply offended and i hope you are as we continue this lovely ad <laughs> take <laughs> right. take a stroll with me down this ad where i explain okay. that on nitrogen if you use the link in the description you get access to the monthly poker guys tournament it's the last sunday of every month There are 1,000 buy-ins guaranteed. It's a 0.1 millibit buy-in with a 100 millibit guarantee. That's a 1,000 buy-in guarantee. They cap it at 300 players. That means it's the greatest iterated value that we know of in poker because it's been going on for three years or so. I mean, as we record this, things can change. But as we record this, the current price of Bitcoin is around $15,000 for one Bitcoin. That means the buy-in is about $1.50 and the guarantee is about $1,500. And the most that could possibly be put in the prize pool by players is what there's 300 buy-ins that they max it out at, right? 
$450. So nitrogen is going to give away over $1,000 minimum. And if the price of Bitcoin is 15000 it could be more. It could be more than that. Yeah. That's just how it goes. So that seems like a good deal. Seems like you should be part of that. I mean, if you want to be part of it, of course, you have to use the link in the description of this podcast when you sign up for Nitrogen. Otherwise, you can't be part of it. They won't let you be part of it. You'll be barred from playing in this tournament. But it's a monthly tournament. It's the greatest iterated value in poker. As Grant said, you have to do it. Of course, it's a Bitcoin-only poker site, which means you get your money in fast. You get your money out fast. 90 minutes to get your money out. Just try and compare that to any other site. You will see that Nitrogen wins that battle. And even if you're not like a... Even if you're not like a Bitcoin person, it's getting a lot easier to, to use Bitcoin. Yeah. You know, you can get it through PayPal and Venmo and stuff at least pretty soon. Yeah, and CVS. It's, pr- it's pretty easy. Nitrogen will make it very easy for you to send the Bitcoin to them. They'll make it very easy for you to get the Bitcoin back out. And then it's pretty easy to turn it into cash. So if you don't even care about crypto, it's still a great deal that you should get involved in. Absolutely. And not having to go through like the, the firewalls with most of these other gambling sites. You have to like talk to someone, explain why you're taking the money out and all that kind of stuff, which is still true, I think, for a number of these gambling sites, which is ridiculous, of course. Um, and like, cause they're like, cuss, they, they're holding your money and they like decide if they're going to give it to you. Like nitrogen doesn't do any of that. You request a withdrawal, the withdrawal comes. That's it. There's no conversation. They just pay you. That's it. That's how it should be. Yep. It is how it should be. And the ultimate turn card that should be in every hand is the eight of diamonds. Weird that that's what happens in this hand. The ah. turn is the eight of diamonds. Even though the pot is, even though the pot's 11,200, the turn's the eight of diamonds. What do, what do you make of that? I mean, I'm going to go with just randomness. <laughs> you know, there's like there's a bunch of cards in the deck. One but, of them is the other. No, diamonds. I don't know if you heard me. The pot's the pot is not eleven thousand six hundred. It's eleven thousand two hundred. Yeah, and still, still the turn is the eight of diamonds. You're you're really the searching. Audacity. You're searching for patterns, man. In a in a bowl of soup, you know what I mean. You push those letters around enough, they're going to spell some words, but it doesn't mean that someone is communicating with you. Okay. I found a fly in my left shoe yesterday. And somehow I did not also find $10,000 in my right shoe, which I was sure was going to be what happened. That would have been so interesting. I guess my pattern recognition is a bit off. Because yeah. I was really like, I was like, oh, the left shoe fly? Shit. 10K, here we go. Here we go. See, now I can't help myself. So it's very famously known that when uh, John Adams died, just before he died, the last thing he said was Jefferson lives. Right? Yeah. It's a very famous thing. Um, now the thing that's interesting about it is Jefferson actually didn't live. Jefferson was already dead. Jefferson had died 30 minutes before. And a lot is made of the fact that they die within a half an hour of each other. And the fact that he said Jefferson lives as if that is some sort of a proof of connection between the two, some sort of spiritual connection or something, which makes no sense, of course, because if he, if they were connected, he would have said Jefferson's dead, not Jefferson lives. Right. But I have friends, smart friends who have, until I pointed this out very strongly, really thought that that Jefferson Lives sentence comment made prove something. I was like, first of all, it proves nothing anyway, because it's just two words he right. said. Like, it's a pretty small sample size there. Um, but second of all, it's also the exact wrong thing, not the right thing. But people want to find patterns, just like you wanted to find a pattern which would lead to $10,000 in your right shoe. People want to find patterns. This is that gambling, professional gambling mindset versus non, I think, where it's like, you can find, you know, if you look, go looking for, like, that Jim Carrey movie, was it? What was it called? The number seven or something like that? You know what I'm talking about? Where it's like... Oh, yeah. If you go looking for the number seven. Like 23? 
20, yeah, that's it. If you go looking for the number 23, you'll find it everywhere, man. It'll haunt you, right? It's like, that's kind of true, though. If you go looking for patterns, you can find them in most places. The question is, you know, are they real or are they imagined? And, like, you have to have some rigor to, to make these decisions. And, you know, like, Jefferson Lives does not prove anything. It proves the opposite of what everyone's saying. That's all. You know, it's actually a lot scarier than that because there's this whole book called Lying with Statistics. So somebody can convince you using math and numbers that the patterns that you see are really mm. true, even though they're just manipulating the numbers in a way that make it look that way. Yeah, critical it's, thinking. It's really even beyond that. Critical thinking is really important. Yeah. Cool. All right. It well, certainly we... is. And one more thing. Yeah. One more one rebuttal on the Jefferson Lives oh, thing. Oh, okay. It could be misinterpreted as, as Adam saying Jefferson is currently alive what maybe he meant was the ideas that were born in Thomas Jefferson <laughs> and expanded across the, the eastern seaboard of the United States will live on after Jefferson has passed, which he may or may not have. I don't know. I'm not in the same room <laughs> with him. I'm not sure. It's strange that he would say that rather than like the Constitution lives or all the things, you know, it was, America his, dying, lives. It was his dying breath. <laughs> First of all, he thought Jefferson was the ultimate founding father, clearly. And thought that Jefferson was the guy who really had the plan. They were pals. Saying Jefferson lives would be the most concise way to get that all across because he <laughs> didn't have that much breath left. He was about to die. This is exactly the kind of um, thought process that people use to justify why they make bad bets on things. It's stuff like this, you know, yeah. where they use no actual evidence, they extrapolate in all these ways, and they lose money because most people lose money when they bet, of course, anyway. But like, this is part of the reason why it's like not cold and it's not unemotional. And hey, good. That's how I. It's one of the ways I pay my rent. Is people, you know, people talk. People yeah. actually think that way. Now I know you don't. You're not. You're joking. I, but people do think that way. I am. You know. I okay. One more thing. Even though I said that was the last thing, there's one more thing on this. <laughs> Go ahead. Because we're in uh, we're in Portland, Oregon, where the where the Trailblazers played. Yeah. And two years ago, they were doing pretty poorly, and then Damian Lillard changed his hair, and it would change. Back and forth. Like sometimes it would be like almost bald shaped head. Sometimes he would have a braid, sort of like a, a like a really short braid on, on top of his head. And when he had a braid, the Blazers won like ten games. And when he didn't have it, they were like four and six. And a lot of money went in in Portland on the Blazers <laughs> when they saw pregame that Lillard yeah. had a braid in his hair. Like stuff like that happens for real. I mean, I was watching the NFL yesterday and they Pittsburgh was playing. And Pittsburgh has started off 7-0. and And they actually posted, you know, um, when Pittsburgh... Pittsburgh's only been 8-0 one other time, I think, in their history or something like that. And they, uh, it was like 1976, and they won the Super Bowl. And it was just presented as, you know, Pittsburgh 8-0 once, won Super Bowl. And I was like, boy, that's a useless piece of information. Like, like who cares, right? That was like 47 years ago. None of these guys were alive who are playing right now. How about every team that started off 8-0? How have they done? That gives us something to work with. Like, this is such a... But, the, but it's presented as if it's meaningful and it's interesting. I know they're just trying to fill the, the, the broadcast. Don't get me wrong. But people take that information and actually think it means something, you know? And it's yeah. just fascinating to me. They do. Um, I remember... Okay, here's another quick story. I was playing poker at oh, Foxwoods. Oh, good. I was playing poker <laughs> at Foxwoods, playing like 2040 back in the day, like mid-early 2000s, like 2006 or something, 2007. And I was, this kid was sitting next to me. He was a nice kid. And, uh, and we were, t- I was, he, he didn't know much about betting, sports betting, but he was asking me about it. And I, at that point, I was fairly accomplished with that stuff. And uh, so I was explaining to him that trends, that, like, they, trends are basically bullshit. Like, 
all the sports betting trends are just, just throw them out. They're useless. He's like, yeah, but what about like, so the Red Sox, the Yankees have been playing that year. And so far the, uh, I believe the Yankees had beaten the Red Sox every game they'd played. They were like seven and zero against them. He's like, what about like one team just has the other team's number? I'm like, yeah, that's complete bullshit. Like it's meaningless. He's like, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, I understand, but I'm telling you it's all bullshit. Turns out the Yankees won the last, like, eight games. They, like, from that moment on, they did not lose another game against the Red Sox and played them many, many, many times. You know, that was kind of lucky and cool for my point. But, like, like it's so easy to find trends that aren't real because we're looking so hard for them. Yeah. All right, my last thing okay. on this trend thing. It, it, it doesn't infect just the general public. It also infects people who claim, at least, to have some sort of analytical knowledge. There's a... We play fantasy football, and there's, there's a podcast that I listen to that's a fantasy football podcast that's like, okay. And there's an analyst on there that I deeply disrespect. I really don't you think he has You can say the name. It's okay. Any... Say who it is. I'm not going to get into All it. All right. No, I'm not going to get into it. Uh, I don't want to start anything. But like, <laughs> it's, I deeply disrespect his analysis. I don't think it ever comes from anywhere. I don't think he knows what he's talking about. But he is presented as this analyst, fantasy football analyst. And I remember there was a time last year where he said, Philip Rivers, who is at the time 37 years old, uh, he, he was quoting stats against Philip Rivers against the Patriots from 2006 mm. and beyond. He saying Philip Rivers in 2006, 2007, 2008, he never threw for more than 300 yards against the Patriots ever, as if that matters. Right. As if in the year 2019, 37-year-old Philip Rivers with completely different players around him against a completely different Patriots team has any any bearing on the 2006 outcome of that game is absurd. But people see these things, even analysts who claim to be analysts and actually are professionally titled as analysts, say shit like that. It's crazy. Okay, but let me just quickly say, number one, professionally titled as analysts, they're just, it's just a guy on a podcast, right? He's not like getting yeah. paid by like a financial firm to analyze something. So he's not really an analyst. We just call him an True. analyst, right? He's a pundit, really. Um, number one. Number two, he may know that he's full of shit, but he has got podcast time to fill. A lot of people are filling time with dumb things. I mean, I remember being on a football yeah. podcast many, many years ago and having to talk about the NFL, the upcoming NFL draft. And like, I didn't know anything about the draft, but they were gonna they were gonna ask me all these questions about players. I was supposed to like quote be an expert on that. So I like did some quick reading and then had a lot of opinions about players. And I didn't know anything any more than whatever. I was just reading opinions of other people, other people's opinions, and presenting them. You know, like this guy's got a great motor. I really love this guy, Paul Plus. Paul Plesnowski or whatever his name is, uh, this linebacker, I think he's going to be great. Like, I didn't know. I didn't, couldn't pick that guy out of a freaking police lineup, you know? So, so, there, so, th- so I just want to say that at least. But th- to your point, it's where that still they would pick those numbers when you could pick a million things to say. Why would you say that? It's still t- to your point. And it isn't like he said, Philip Rivers never has thrown for 100 yards against the Patriots or anyone. How can we expect him to throw 300 yards, right? Philip Rivers used to throw yeah. for 300 yards all the time. Of course, you're right. It has no bearing. By the way, also different coaches, different philosophies offensively, all those things for 37-year-old Philip Rivers, right? Everything right. different. To be fair to that podcast, they also have a guy who actually uses numbers and stats and stuff and kind of refutes these things. Anyway, let's actually get back to the wow. hand at this point. That this was a crazy. long, we took a long tangential ride there, but you know what? That's what I live for, man. That yep. is what I live for. All right, That's let's talk about stuff. the turn. All right, maybe we should re- refresh the flop. Yes. It was king of clubs, six of spades, six of hearts. Negranu miraculously having three bet flopped trip sixes with 10 six of clubs. Doug Polk called the very small $1,600 into 8K bet by Negranu with queen jack of diamonds. Not much hope, just the backdoor straight draw. The pot's 11200 The turn is the eight of diamonds. Doug Polk is now drawing dead. Cool. So 
Should Negreanu continue betting? Uh, yep. I think so. I don't see why not. Now it looks like Doug has some hands that he may continue with here. He may really have a king if he has a king. I think we're going to get called at least once, if not twice. Sounds great. Um, I don't really can't come up with any reason. Like if, if Doug has a king, a bet's going in either way. If Doug doesn't have a king, he very well may check back the turn a lot. Um, the only reason to check is to induce. I'm trying to build a pot instead, especially when we're out of position. I think I want to bet. That's fair. I think Doug has a ton of floats, though, based on the sizing on the flop. Like yeah. As we see, Doug has a, a float. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm biased by seeing that Doug has a float. Maybe that's happening here. But I would also guess that Doug does have a decent amount of floats on a polarizing board like this when the price is so cheap. Like You outlined all of the ways things can go well just calling 1600 to win 9600 right? Doug is aware of that also. Yeah. So if Daniel is leveling and aware of that as well, he might be afraid that Doug has too many floats to bet again, that, that the best way to, to make the most money in the hand is to let Doug take the lead. Because if Doug has a float, he's going to bet. If Doug has a king, he's going to bet. If Doug has... So, There's some hands Doug's going to check, like ace high maybe, but he might bet for equity denial anyway. So Yeah, that's true. If he has pocket I, sevens, I he may feel... Might be better. He may want to bet... Po- I would probably want to bet pocket sevens as I was Doug with the intention of checking back almost all rivers. Any non-seven river, basically, I'm checking back. That way I don't have to call a big bet on the river myself, and I don't give a free card to Daniel. So maybe you're right. Maybe, maybe Doug's actually not checking much. Um, he's betting a lot of his bluffs, and he's betting a lot of his medium to strong hands. And like maybe he's, he's betting almost all his hands, actually, now that I think about it, as a result. Yeah. Well, that's then we should definitely check. The problem, of course, is like we're going to need Doug to bet the river also. Although, like, like he can check back the river so easily if we don't, you know, if if assuming we check the river and Doug and Doug bets here, right? Well, we can, if he's bluffing, we have a chance of that to happen. If he has medium strength value, we probably don't have too much of a chance. Yeah. And if he has a king, Doug's probably betting the river. Yeah, right? and I guess I guess we could look at it like if he has medium strength, it's going to be hard to get two more streets anyway. Like. So checking, yeah. even if it goes check, check, then maybe we can get called on the river by pocket sevens. But it's hard to go bet, bet, and get called both times by sevens, right? So, yeah. okay, you know what? I like this check a lot now that we've said it. Here's another thing, by the way, which I know and you don't, is that Negrunner checked almost every turn, no matter what, hmm. in this 200-hand live match. Like, oh, my God, Negrunner checked strength and weakness, checked backhands that you would always want to bluff, like, really strangely, it felt like he's just trying to play small pots against Doug and also induce, like, constantly. So I was less surprised than I'm making it sound like when, when D-Nex checked here because he was checking all turns, it seemed like. Like, the, the, his turn check percentage is so insanely high. It's, like, it's got to be in the high 90s, like, mid to high 90s, percentage-wise. Well, he must have gone in with a strategy to do that then, yeah. I guess. I wonder why. Um, anyway, he does check, even though we hadn't said that yet. He does check. You kind yep. of gave it away. That's okay. Doug's got to take a shot now, right? 100%. This was part of the plan. Yeah. He is going to. He's going to bet 7,600 into 11-2. That's a real bet. It's a, it's a like, you, you kind of really are holding on hard if you have ace high and you decide to call 76 into 11-2, right? I don't think ace high. I don't think ace high would call a smaller bet either on a king 6-6 rainbow board, probably. Um, like a $5,300 bet, probably also going to do the trick. But pocket sevens has a weird decision now. Also, there's an implication that there could be a big bet coming on the river. You could just get, get out now for cheap, right? So, so he, I, think he's, I think he's targeting some of these medium pocket pair type hands as much as anything. 
Doug is? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's just hoping Negreanu has a hand that can fold. but And that, it could be those hands, but I think also ace high is a big part of Negreanu's range as played, probably. Sure. I just think they're going to fold for, like, a smaller bet. I see. I see. He's just trying to make sure that some slightly better hands might fold. Now, Doug didn't know this because Doug couldn't see, but we could see that d actually was folding hands like pocket sevens on turns like this if he checked. And Doug oh, bet. Like, he really? was constantly okay. folding medium strength, not like not as good as not top pair, but worse than top pair hands when Doug would bet again. Okay. Well, this time Negreanu has a pretty easy yeah. not fold. The only question is, should he check raise? And it feels like not. feels like he probably shouldn't. But <sighs> should know. he check raise with his trips? I mean, we're hoping to get called by just a king now, like king-queen, even yeah. a good king. By the way, a king could even decide to fold. Like, Doug doesn't ever has ace-king, right? So king-queen's right. like the top of his range here, pretty much. I guess he could have a few trip sixes. He could have ace-six. But it's the top of his king range. It's near the very top of his range. And king-queen does not like this spot at all if it gets check-raised. Might even find a fold once in a while. I don't know why. I don't like check-raising at all. I'm worried about getting more value, but I, I don't think check-raising is the way to get value. Yeah, I agree. So so does Negreanu. Yeah. He just calls. Cool. Hoping that Doug fires another shell and hoping a king doesn't hit the river also, obviously. Yes. A king hitting the river is going to suck for Dean Eggs. Yeah. Doesn't have to worry. The river is the deuce of hearts. The pot is 26,400, so it's a very bricky river. No flushes come in. Doug never improved to backdoor equity or anything. No pair, nothing. Do you have to check now if you're Negreanu or can you lead? I don't like leading at all. Uh, for the, all the reasons we were talking on the turn, if Doug has a king, he's going to bet, right? He's going to be trying to get value out of jacks. Um, if Doug doesn't have a king, and we just check call the big bet, there's no way he's going to, like, call with two sevens or something himself, like, based on how this hand is playing out. Like, two sevens are almost never good if we play it like this. Like, there's no draw on the turn. Nine seven is a draw. Daniel would have bet it anyway, like, Almost always. I know Daniel's checking a lot of turns, but it's really hard for Daniel to check call 9-7 suited out of position for this size. Right. Thanks, Doug, instead of betting it or playing it aggressively. So it just seems like betting is going to frighten away all like too many things. And we want to give Doug a chance to bluff still, too. I think we And Doug's going to bet a king. I think we have to check. Yeah. Doug has bluffs and Doug has kings. And we. the only question is if Doug has a king. Like, Doug's not going to. He's got 44K left. He's not going to shove with a king. No. Right? No way. So if Doug bets something like 18K, are we check shoving? Or is that game theory disaster land with the 10-6? I think we should probably be check shoving, even though I'm a little worried about game theory disaster land. Uh, Doug, is, Doug is trying to play GTO. So Doug can't play in a way that he's too exploited. So he's going to have to call with some of his kings because he doesn't have enough sixes. So if his best kings are going to have to call our check raise. If we were way deeper, I don't know that a check raise is a good idea. But we're not way deeper. If Doug bets here, I mean, there's, what, 26,400 in the pot. Doug is the effective stack at 44K. If he bets 18K, he only has 26 left. He may feel obligated to call off with a good king because he doesn't want to be exploited. I think we have to take our shot with a hand this strong. All right. Well, Negreanu's not going to have to worry about that because Doug shoves after yeah. Negreanu checks. Shoves for 44 into 26 with nothing. Um, before we talk about Negreanu's decision, is this good? Was this a good line by Doug Polk? What's he targeting? He's trying to get Negreanu to fold. Ace highs we're not worried about anymore, right? We're trying to get him to fold like jacks and queens, I guess, mostly. 
He might even be going after some kings if he's, yeah. you know, he's noticed that Negreanu is checking the turn all the time. Negreanu could absolutely have a king then. He might yeah. be shoving instead of betting 18k because he's like, well, it's an auto call with a king if I bet 18k. Let's give myself a chance to fold out a king. Right. Yeah, like if Negreanu is king jack, he's always calling. 18, but he may, but he's going to, 44 is a much tougher spot and weird. And Doug is now clearly saying all my value beats you, which isn't eight, which 18 K is not saying right against King Jack. Right. Like you could be beating value. You could be beating King 10 and, and hands like that for sure. King nine. Um, wow. It's, I, I mean, Doug is, I think you're right. I think Doug is going after some Kings, but really like, like Negreanu's line, the line that makes most makes sense for Negreanu is Queens and Jacks and tens, I think. Like, even, yeah. though, even though you're right, I think you can have some kings here, too. Um, those hands are really in jail for this, against this 44K bet, right? Like, and maybe Doug thinks Daniel's just is really exploitive here um, because maybe he thinks Daniel is not going to play a king like this but is going to play queens and worse like this, and he can just, like, fold out almost all of Daniel's range. I don't know if he thinks that. There are 193 hands in, and he's seen Daniel check a lot, like so much on the turn. Maybe he doesn't think that. But, I, do, but I, I don't know if he thinks Daniel's ever super strong either. Like, he may not think it's possible for Daniel to have a six and play it like this. But he might. I mean, if he's been observing Negreanu's play, maybe he does. Although, the fact that Negreanu apparently has not been three-betting a lot with garbage hands makes it a lot less likely for Negreanu to have a six. Kind of emboldens Doug. I think this is mostly targeting a king. I think, based on all the things you've told me about this thing, it sounds like in Polk's mind at this point, he probably believes Negreanu has way more kings than sixes in his three betting range, mm-hmm. and that he might play kings like this because of all of his turn checking that he always does. So Doug's just trying to ensure that he has a chance for a king to fold. As opposed to betting like 20K to get like nines, tens, jacks, and queens to fold potentially. Yeah. Where they might fold for that. Amount. Right. Got it. That's fair. That's fair. Um, I'm not... Maybe Doug also... It's weird because Daniel's a known calling station. Right. Um, so that's not great. <laughs> no. But Daniel knows that he's a known calling station, of course. And Doug is now betting almost 2x the pot, which is different than betting 75% of the pot. And Daniel's going to treat it differently for sure. And in fact, Daniel yes. goes into a bit of a tank here. He th- yeah. Right. He doesn't insta call with this hand, which is, really has to be an insta call, I think. We'll, we'll get into it, I'm sure. But I'm pretty sure we just have to call it Daniel with, a, with any six against Doug. But, but Daniel doesn't. So maybe Daniel is folding all kings here. I don't think he's folding aces. I don't think. I don't think he's folding ace-king. I don't know if he's playing them this way anyway, but I don't think he's folding those hands. But they can't. It's the same. They, they beat the same value range that, you know, King Jack beats and King 10 beats. Yeah. Yep. Doug has effectively polarized himself. So what do you think? Is this better than going for a smaller bet? For Doug? Yeah. I think it can't be bad to let the whole clip out here, right? To spend the extra 26K um, if it's going to increase the range of folds, which you have to believe it will. You just have to believe it will. Okay. And I think Daniel likes the call so much that we should give him more reasons to fold. Okay. So, yeah, I agree. I like like the big bet better. I just want to give ourselves a chance to fold out a king. And I like that. We don't have to bet at all. That's the other option. We can right. check. That was the second question. That was going to be the second question. Is it better to check than to go for it at all? Once the grunt is called a pretty sizable turn bet. Because we know if we're betting. Let's start with this. We've, do, we've already done that first part. We know we're betting 44 to win 26-4, right? Yeah. So it has to work a lot, right? 
like yeah. a lot, like 70% of the time or something like that, um, which isn't amazing from our point of view, 66% of the time. I don't know. So somewhere in that general area. Um, is it better just to give up? The problem is, of course, Daniel will play jacks like this up to this point and fold jacks almost certainly for 44K on the river, I think. I think. And yep. all those, at queens, queens, at, queens and down, I think he's folding all those. And if we think we can fold out some kings too, we probably, probably should go for it. Also, maybe Doug thinks this is good for his, because um, they're going to play another 24,000, you know, 800 hands here. Can't be that bad, even if you get caught. Either way, for Daniel to see that you're capable of this, because he's going to see the hands later anyway, right? Um, that may be good for the next 24,000 hands in terms of value. Yeah. So that's another reason to pull the trigger on a big bluff early like this, I think. I don't hate it for that reason either. Yeah, I think I prefer going for it. I mean, yeah. especially considering that Negreanu is very unlikely to actually have a six. Oh, yeah. He just happens to have a six. Like, if we actually think there's a chance that Daniel's going to fold hands like king-queen, this has to be the right move. It has to. I don't know if Daniel is really folding king-queen. I feel like as Doug, we're mostly saying we have king-queen when we shove. I know we're saying polarized before, but... How is Doug better than King-Queen here? What hands does he have that are better than King-Queen? He has King-8 suited? A6, A6, 6, 7, 5, 6, 8, 8. Yeah, okay. Those are all the hands he has. You're right. Maybe King-8 suited. Yeah. Okay. So maybe so maybe he doesn't have to shove King-Queen then. All right. Yeah. Um, of course, aces are beating King-8. But that's, the, that's it. That's the only place where that would be, where that matters. Uh, I like Doug going for it, ultimately. I feel like Doug should go. Doug's played this hand to go for it. It sort of sucks. Sometimes you feel a little dumb. It's like Daniel betting 1600 on the flop basically engineers this whole spot, ultimately, right? Like, it seems Betts, like it. It seems like that's what happened. Yeah, like Doug is not going to put all these. Doug's going to just fold the flop if it's, an, if it's a reason, more, if it's a normal sized, bigger bet. If it's 3,000 into 8,000, Doug, I think it's just folding. Instead, now Doug, Doug's put in some ungodly, put over $53,000 in post-flop with nothing at all. No dreams, no hopes, except maybe Daniel will fold. But he doesn't because he does have trip sixes, of even course. though he tanks. He has to call. Daniel ultimately knows against a guy like Doug, you have to call with a six. It's way better than what your opponent expects you to show up with. You have to. You just have Absolutely. to call with it. By the way, you actually beat some of Doug's sixes anyway. You're 10 plays. So it's an even easy. Like, you're only losing really to ace six and pocket eights here. Like, this is a. Yeah. This is a. I'm surprised Daniel. Daniel takes a solid, like, minute to call here. I don't really know why. Like, this, this should be a it's pretty a big easy call. You're allowed to it's, think about it. It's a big bet. Right. But if I'm sitting there, I'd be like, well, Doug, can, Doug would play six seven like this, right? Doug would play six eight like this. Doug would play six five like this. What other sixes does Doug have? Ace six. I guess he could have flopped king six. Cool. There aren't too many of this those. Was, There's just not much there. This was the biggest pot of the match. Yeah. They've been playing for hours. Heads up is exhausting. Yeah. I mean, it's a like you have to be thinking every moment. It's it's okay to make sure your mind isn't scrambled. Like give yourself a minute to think it That's through. That's fair. That's fair. If I was Doug though, I might be um heartened by this. The fact that Daniel thinks doesn't insta call with this. I, I assume Doug would just instantly throw the chip in. Because he, he, already, he already knows what he's doing, you know? He's got game theory trees. Yeah. He's trying to follow them. So it's like, I check. Whatever Daniel bets, I call. Now, maybe when Daniel bets 44K, you'd have to think about it, too. But I, I believe he would call this hand faster because he knows he just has to, is my guess. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, 
if I was Doug, I'd be like, wow, Daniel thought about that hand? That means I'm folding. I got to be folding out kings here. What a great bet. You know, and I'd feel good about it. Um, and I think, like, that bodes really doing, well. Uh, unless Daniel's doing a little act to try to get mm. Doug to bluff more. Maybe. Maybe that. That would be great. I hope that's what he was doing. I mean, he does say pretty early on, I'm, not, I'm almost certainly not folding, but I want to just make sure. Which is fair, by the way. Like you said, it's $44,000. He's certainly allowed to think. I just would feel like... This feels like one of the easier hands to make the decision with because the 10 plays even. Yep. So that, that led Negreanu to end up uh, way up at the end of the live session, but they've since played some online and Doug has taken the lead. Yeah, Daniel was up like 110000 after the live session. They then played uh, two days later and Doug won $238,000 when they were they two-tabled heads up. And so Doug is now playing. They're actually uh, is now up that much, about 100 and change. And they're actually about to play. As we're recording, I think they're about to play uh, within the next hour or so. They're going to do another session. Obviously, there's all there's such a long way to go. Um, yeah, very long way to go. It'd be interesting because you know they're playing. They have a million dollar side bet, but also all this is real money too. So whoever loses the million dollar side bet is also going to lose real cash along the way to the other player. Like this could get really expensive. I'm thinking more for Daniel than for Doug. I got to tell you. I mean, it's yeah. Daniel could lose more in the match than he could on the side bet. It's right. possible. Like now, the, they have a they have an agreement that either guy can bail after twelve twelve thousand five hundred hands, so they can mm. they can cut and run. They're not forced to play out the full twenty five thousand. They they lose the side bet still, but if they're getting killed, they're like, all right, all right, you know, uh, uncle. Uh, but even that is kind of a lot of hands to have to play against someone who's better than you, which. I mean, from yeah. watching this match, now maybe Daniel's going to adjust all this stuff, but it felt like Doug was better, even though Daniel won this match. Daniel was Daniel checked the flop. Sorry, checked the turn a crazy amount of the time. He basically just checked the turn so much it felt like it couldn't be right. <laughs> like, like there are lots of spots where it just felt like a clear bet, and he just wouldn't make it. And it was really, it was really surprising. And I don't know. I'm not saying he he's obviously very successful. He's being advised by top notch heads up online pros as well. He, he acknowledges this. Um, so maybe it's a more sophisticated thing than that, than what I'm saying. But man, it really felt like he was just missing some obvious stuff. And Kane Callis, by the way, who was doing the, um, the commentary with Ali Najad, who is, of course, a heads-up specialist as well and plays against these oh, guys. Yeah. You know, it's like among Ali the best Nijad, in the world. Yeah. No, no, Kane Callis, Kane Callis. Uh, no, no, Ali Najad. Yeah. So Kane was also saying the same things I'm saying now. He's really surprised that Daniel kept playing turns so passively and thought that thought it was a mistake and thought also Daniel was not going for value on the river almost like in marginal spots ever, never going for thin value. He just felt like that wasn't going to work. And I agree with Kane. Um, we'll see. We've got another, you know, 24,000 hands to find out. I guess we will find out. And the whole poker world is excited to do so very yeah. slowly. Music is my sunlight, and all I need is one mic, and I can show every single MC how it's done right. Every time I come by, I'm bound to leave them so tired. I'm sipping on liquor, a quitter is what I'm not. We got one life, and I took a minor break, but I'm back to claim the throne. I'm gonna be traveling the globe, we still have time to make it.